Hey, I bet you're just fine with me not singing my podcast introduction, aren't you? Admit it. You're probably wondering why I would even ask that. I'm going to explain in a minute. Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. This show is sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Color Blends Bulbs. I am Leslie Harris, and I cannot get my knees clean. Our plant of the week is the Kamia latifolia, otherwise known as the mountain laurel. I'll be chatting with a plant podcaster who does sing her own introduction. But then again, she works on Broadway too, so it makes so much more sense. And the playlist is about what to do in your garden this week. I find it so interesting to walk around my garden in the latter half of spring because there are some spots in the back half of the property, which is, you know, very much woodland type garden, that I've thought of for years as being like filtered sunlight or semi-shade. And suddenly tree branches are in my face. There's a dark jungly vibe in those very areas. And I have plenty of plants that will grow in shade, but most of them count on a little bit of the old vitamin D for some of the day at least. And as sure as things grow, I need to prune. Not a lot, but certainly changes need to be made simply because changes have been made via growth. That reminds me of a friend I had one time who was not happy with her no longer girlish figure. She had been to a nutritionist and was complaining about the new restrictions on her diet. She said repeatedly, I can't change. I can't change. And of course, she was talking about her eating habits, but I thought it was sort of ironic because the whole problem was that she was indeed changing. Probably a little bit of lifestyle, probably a little bit of metabolism. Anyway, the change in my back sunlight is due to the change in the trees and the shrubs growing. So I must adjust them just as I probably should adjust my eating habits. Anyway, that's part of the fun of gardening, that nothing ever stays the same. Although wasn't it just last week when I was talking about wanting to put lacquer on my holly bush so that it wouldn't ever grow? But this is a different type of pruning that I'm talking about now. There's something really satisfying about grabbing a low branch and choosing a fairly heavy offshoot of it, or even a small one, to remove. And then you make the cut, and then you let go of the branch, and the whole thing bounces up in joy, a great weight removed, just because of that cut. If you have branches that are determined to smack you in the face as you putter or mow, don't forget that you might not have to remove the entire branch. Consider taking away a fork of it only and see if the removed weight gets the whole thing above your head height. It's kind of fun to do. The plant of the week is the mountain laurel, or call me a lot of folia. I haven't thought about that shrub a lot in the last few years, but as I write, it is blooming near my roses, so it really got my attention. It's a native woodland shrub, and now that I think about it, maybe my roses are in a bit too much shade because they're right next to that. Anyway, that is not our topic. The botanic name of this shrub is a mouthful, Calmia latifolia. I guess um, it was named after somebody named Calm, as I recall. It's a woody and it can get knobby and sculptural as it gets older. So this is a broad-leafed evergreen shrub. Its leaves are oval. They're sort of like mini rhododendron leaves. They're shiny and dark green. They're good looking. It flowers with beautiful clusters of five-sided star-like flowers that are white on the species, but have a pattern of deep pink dots on the inside. Its coloring sort of reminds me of my favorite peony, the Festiva Maxima. But whereas that strie of deep pink on the peony is irregularly placed on the mountain laurel, it's a very organized party or pattern on the flower. Mountain laurels can grow anywhere from 5 to 20 feet tall, which is odd, frankly, and a mystery that I am useless to interpret, sorry, but I can tell you that I've lived with two extremes. There was a huge one, like at least 12 feet tall, outside of our bedroom window in a house where we lived for a couple of years in Connecticut. 
And right now I inherited a very bent over little man in my garden that I really like here. And it just reminds me as it blooms right now, as I'm writing this, that I should have more of them. Why do I not grow more of these shrubs? They can take sun, they can take shade. They're probably best in a mix. According to the Missouri Botanical Database, they live in a variety of habitats, including open, rocky, or sandy woods, cool meadows, balds, what's a bald? I don't know, mountain slopes, and woodland margins. Mobot also says zones four through nine, which pleases me because without enough evidence, I had thought that they like cooler climates. Mountain laurels are prolific near where we lived in Connecticut, and I just took them for granted. So when I moved down here, I included a few in designs that I made here in Charlottesville, and they kind of didn't prosper. I don't know why that is, but they were irresistible cultivars like Carousel, that's a dwarf that has white flowers with heavily banded purple, or one called Nip Muck, which gets to about five feet tall, and red flowers, I know, red, but then they open and they turn to pink. I mean, really cute things, but when I put them in gardens here, I mean, I think I was just unlucky. When you choose plants for other people, you really don't take any chances on horticultural divas, which this was sort of proving to me to be, so I stopped including them. But like I said, maybe I was just unlucky. And for sure, I'm going to be replacing some of my many, many and fairly repetitive Asian azaleas with mountain laurels in the years to come. I love azaleas, by the way, but in the interest of upgrading to native plants and a longer flowering spring, why wouldn't I give mountain laurels another go? I will, and I will keep you posted. By the way, another plus, neither deer nor rabbits are interested in the mountain laurel. But maybe you are, now that you know more about it. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, kindly delivered by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Color Blends Bulbs. And coming up, we're going to be talking with Maria Faella of Bloom and Grow Radio about her new book, Growing Joy. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. This show is sponsored by Color Blends Bulbs. We are very happy to have with us today a garden podcaster, and it's not me. <laughs> it's Maria Paella, and she does Bloom and Grow Radio, and she's been podcasting for longer than I have. She has a lovely, lovely podcast that really concentrates on indoor plants, and yet it's all about plants, right, and the joy of gardening. And you are, I can tell by listening to your last few episodes and your dreams about a greenhouse, that you're not just indoors, right? No, we started indoors. So when I started Bloom and Grow Radio, I was living in 500 square feet in New York City. I had a nine square foot balcony garden. So I had about two uh, containers of potted herbs and a tomato plant, but I was primarily a houseplant parent for my first three to four years. But as I've grown and the show has grown, I've kind of done a complete 180 as a human. And I went from living in 500 square feet in New York City to five acres in the Catskills of New York. No, wait a minute. Is this the place you're renting or the place you bought? So I've rented two different areas in the Catskills. My husband and I are bopping around trying to see where we want to end up. So now he makes fun of me every day. He's like, because I'm such a city girl. And so the first year was a really rough transition for me living up here. Not, you know, understanding bugs and deer and porcupine running around everywhere, but it's also completely inspired the gardener in me. And now I actually find myself more excited about some of the outdoor gardening that I'm planning. Our frost date, we're recording this in early May, and I live in a microclimate where even though our frost date is technically May 15th, I've, every gardener I've met up here has told me that I cannot plant until Memorial Day. 
So I'm just patiently waiting and itching to to get gardening outside. But now I've become like a crazy flower mama. Like I'm so hyper-focused on getting some wildflower meadows and dahlias going. So I've definitely kind of grown up as a plant parent in, and you can really listen to that progression throughout, you know, the 150 plus episodes of Bloom and Grow Radio, where the first 10 were all about houseplants and the next couple are going to be all about outdoor stuff. (laughs) I'm so excited for you and your greenhouse. And you, we have a guest in common, Raphael Dalalo. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's obviously, he's very into indoor plants and yet he's gotten a greenhouse now too. He has an epic greenhouse going on. He's pouring foundation and he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, there are a bunch of plant people who have some really impressive greenhouses and it's definitely a goal of mine. We're still renting right now, but actually this morning I was having coffee with my husband and he was saying that he, who's not a plant guy, but he recently watched a tour that Summer Rain Oaks of Homestead Brooklyn did on her YouTube channel of this amazing couple in Philly who literally installed a uh, like Victorian style conservatory in their brownstone on the back of the brownstone. And he was like, I hope we can do that for you one day when when we finally buy. And I was like, oh boy, I picked the right guy to marry. <laughs> That is so sweet. My husband's very not a gardener at all, but he's very supportive that way. And we've talked about greenhouses. I don't think we're going to pull the trigger, but I do have, as I call it, the perfect greenhouse. If you are a very short uh, dog, like a beagle or something, I have a I have a pretty tall cold frame, so I can. Yeah, put- that's great too. That's great too. Learning learning a lot about hardening stuff off right now is yesterday is seventy, and then it's like forty today. <laughs> where we live. Yeah. No, I was in Connecticut for a long time. I'm in central Virginia now. So I'm much spoiled with these um, temperatures. Although we do get our frost still. I mean, they, they do talk about it. I think they say like, you know, what do they say? Like um, Mother's Day. Anyway, I tend to ignore it. When I was in Connecticut, I, on the water, so warmer than you, mm-hmm. pushed it every time. I mean, there are always beach blankets and sheets available for. I'm pushing it too, man. I'm doing the dance right now where I've got, I, I went, I couldn't help myself. I went shopping this last weekend at the local garden center and I got, you know, $200 worth of seed starts, a bunch of tender herbs and a tomato plant and some flowers. And I'm doing this dance right now where I bring them outside in the day and then I bring them home because it drops significantly at night and I bring them in. And that's just part of my daily routine now, but I love it. It's, and I've, I'm starting a bunch of seeds too. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to harden them off. And, you know, as a first time gardener, I gardened with a friend last year. I met this retiree named Melody she offered her greenhouse to help me start my seeds for the first time last year. And I ended up gardening with her and it was the most amazing experience. Um, but this is my first time flying solo. You know, I had this amazing wise elder, you know, person to kind of coach me through the whole process and kind of tell me what to do. And now this year, I'm just like helicopter parenting my zinnia starts right now. I want to get into your book, but before we move on, I just have to ask you, so you literally have gone from plant killer to plant lady. Yes. This is your line from your book. And uh, we do want to talk about your book very soon. But as your journey continues, because you are no longer a plant killer, except like the best of us, these things happen. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you feel like you're going to go more toward veg, ornamental, and if like a mix, how important are native plants to you? What, what do you, how do you feel like you're going outdoors? Um, great question. You know, I garden to feel connected to my mom and her mom, and I feel very connected to my ancestors when I garden. So I like to think about doing what they do. So my grandma, who has since passed, was an Italian immigrant who they basically had two plots of land in Queens next to each other, one for their house and one for their garden. And my grandma was known to bring 
sow seeds into her bra when she would come back to Italy from her summers to bring her heirloom seeds and she would start everything and, you know, grow everything. So my first passion with growing outdoors and on my nine little square foot balcony garden, edible was totally it. Herbs and tomatoes and what I can grow to feel connected to my Italian heritage for sure. Cause I grew up, you know, eating, eating my grandma's amazing bounty. And my mom is also an incredible gardener, but she does more edible landscaping. So her front yard you would never know that she had a tomato head. She had 20 tomato plants in her front yard, but she put them behind bushes that kind of concealed them. And she would use lettuces in in an ornamental way, but it was all edible. It was so cool. So I'm very drawn to the edibles, but there's in researching my book, which is all about the plant person connection and why plants make us happy. There is just something about flowers that humans are just intrinsically connected to. And I have found that I'm always going to grow my herbs and my, and my vegetables for sure. Growing my husband, cherry tomatoes is like one of the funnest thing ever because he loves them and we love cooking together, but I am just hyper fixated on wildflowers right now. I got permission from my landlord. I'm going to try doing a wildflower meadow on my front lawn this year. So I've been doing a lot of research about that. Something my mom always did, which I loved because she had a really beautiful mix of perennial flowers and, and edibles is whoever came over or whoever she went to visit, she would always, or she always does present. She's still alive. Cuts a few blooms, basil, lavender, takes a piece of tin foil with a damp, you know, paper towel in it and makes the most rustic bouquet for whoever she would go visit. And I just thought that was the cool. I just think that's the coolest thing ever to show up, gift what you grow to people. So I'm thinking about the the wildflower bouquets I'm going to gift friends this this summer. So it's interesting. I have no interest in ornamentals whatsoever. (laughs) I'm like, what you just described. I mean, rustic. yeah, I'm such a newbie. It's fun. Cause you know, I started blooming girl radio because I was a plant killer. Right. So basically the first 10 episodes was me interviewing experts to learn how to not kill plant. You can listen to how little I knew in that, in those first 20 episodes. And as I've now interviewed so many experts on every aspect of houseplant care, Hoyas really like plant nerdy stuff, you know, plant, plant science, deep dives. Now I find myself a beginner again, you know, with the whole outdoor gardening thing. And, and it's so wild because it's a whole different set of plants and it's a whole different set of care requirements and it's, you know, understanding your gardening zones. And I'm also really interested in kind of figuring out how to plant by the moon cycles and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's an unbelievable amount of information to learn. Oh yeah. The more I know, the more I know, I don't know. It's, it's just amazing. Isn't that wild? Very cool to see you starting a whole other leg of your journey. Yeah. This is Into the Garden with Leslie. And we're talking with Maria Faella, who is also a gardening podcaster, and she is just beginning a new journey into the plants and the outdoors. But I really want to talk to her about her new book, which is Plants in General, and it's called Growing Joy. And it's the connection between plants and people, right? It's it's going to come out in June. Tell us about your book. Yeah. So it's actually not a plant care book. It's a self-care book about plant care. It's my love letter to plants. I like to say that it's part self-care, part plant care, part memoir, and mostly plant puns. That's the kind of like internal language I tell my friends about what it is. 
there are plenty of people that have made wonderful gardening books. I'm not, you know, I'm the plant killer turned plant lady, but what I am an expert on is exploring curiosity and connecting with plants to lead a more joyful life. I have taken every yoga retreat. I have done every juice cleanse. I have read every self-help book. I have done everything. I've been, I am a constant self-development junkie and plants have been the simplest and most effective tool to leading a happier life, like straight up. It's not, they're, they're not fancy. They're these little potted plants, but man, caring for them has been the single most joyful addition to my life and joyful, but also tremendously helpful through some really dark times I've recently gone through as well. We do have at the end of the book for people who need it, a plant killer turned plant lady crash course. And I break down the basics of plant care for anybody who needs it. Cause you know, once you get lit up about caring for plants, we want to make sure you don't kill them. Um, but the majority of the book is actually just all sorts of different theories and, and scientific studies that talk about how plants really are have been proven now to help us lead happier, healthier lives. And also over 60 different ways that we as gardeners or houseplant parents can use plants on a daily basis to cultivate more joy in our lives. And that can be large scale things like forest bathing. I have a whole section in the book on how to use plants to green up your office space, you know, dancing with your plants, naming your plants. There's some very scientific based things. There's also some really fun kind of silly things. I also think though, as adults, we kind of lose our sense of awe and uh, our ability to be students again and to kind of stimulate our curiosity. So I push people a little bit in the book to kind of reconnect with their inner child and get a little playful and, you know, rediscover those those small little joys. But yeah, it's just a love letter to plants and a wonderful accompaniment to all of the wonderful plant care books out there. One of the things that struck me about the book was something that made me feel really good about and really guilty about all at once. And it was... Okay. When I wake up in the morning, I grab my glasses because I'm blind as a bat. I wear contacts and I grab my phone and I'm like, mm -hmm. what's up? What's the weather? What do I Yep. Have? Yep. And you're saying, oh, no, don't do that. That phone should live in another room and you should be looking at Monstera plants instead. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I say this now, so we'll, we'll, let's talk about it on the podcast. If you can, if you take one thing away from my book, I hope it's uh, a practice that I call look at a plant before you look at a screen in the morning. Yeah. I'm there with you, Leslie. I am so addicted to my screens as a millennial, especially like I've got all the apps. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I've got my email on my phone. I have it all. And it is so stupidly simple to wake up and spend no time with yourself at all. And when I say plants were the most effective wellness tool in my life, it's because when I started caring for plants, when I decided to not be a plant killer anymore, I brought these, it was actually outdoor plants. It started outdoor plants. Um, I had this little herb garden on my balcony and before plants, I would wake up immediately grab my phone. Cause that's where my alarm was. I'd check Instagram, check Facebook, whatever. And I would have coffee with my phone in the morning, you know, scrolling, watching, whatever. I think that's a very normal, I think a lot of people have that experience, right? Yeah. We're just, we're on our phone from, you know, the first minute we bring our phones in the bathroom with us now. Like no one just reads the, you know, the shampoo bottle anymore. Be true. Yeah. And when I started caring for plants, I would leave my phone and I would take my coffee and I would sit crouched on my tiny balcony with my herbs in the morning. I was just so obsessed with watching them grow because it was this first experience of, of watching things grow in front of my eyes and successfully caring for them instead of killing them. But what I realized when I made time for plants, I actually made time for myself because in that stillness that I created and that screen-free time with these plants, I kind of got reacquainted with myself, right? Like I saw life lessons in these potted herbs and I just got to zone out and watch dew drop from a leaf or 
reconnect with my five senses and smell the basil and touch the soil and feel, you know, the fuzzy sage. And it was just this calm that I cultivated that I had not experienced as a millennial in my adult life, living in New York city with a crazy schedule and, you know, trucks honking at you everywhere you go and no one's smiling at each other. And these plants really finding that time for myself in the morning changed my life. And so the book is rooted in this really trying to commit to looking at a plant before you look at a screen. It's so simple and it's so hard, (laughs) but I give you all sorts of strategies in the book to make it easier for yourself. (laughs) Wow. That sounds tough. I I have a a question just based on um, your joy of watching plants and your ability to um, help yourself through plants. Do you feel like it's even going to be, um, I don't know, more successful or more all-encompassing as you journey to your outdoor plant thing? I mean, it's certainly going to be bigger, mm-hmm. bigger trees, all that stuff. Do you feel like you're even having a bigger sense of calm because they're not small and they're not on a balcony with trucks down below? That's a really interesting question. I My first answer is no, because I think that you can really have a really mindful experience with one plant. I have mindfulness exercises in the book that you can do with one potted house plant. If you live in 500 square feet, you don't need a crazy garden to it, to experience wellness, right? Through plant care. I think, you know, forest bathing is an interesting concept that another total game changer in my life, spending time in nature with trees. I think forest bathing can feel really overwhelming that people are like, I've got to drive to the mountains and go spend a day in the forest. But it's like, no, you can get the benefits of forest bathing with like five minutes, you know, looking at trees or looking at green. So my first answer is no, because I think, you know, you can really achieve positive benefits from one plant and caring for that one plant and watching a leaf unfurl, right? As long as you have one leaf unfurling, you're going to feel some joy and excitement and anticipation and awe there. I talk about with houseplants, when you get your first Monstera, which is a very fancy, you know, everybody's seen a Monstera leaf. It's that jungle leaf that has the holes in it. It's very popular in the houseplant world. And the first time you get a Monstera that unfurls a fenestrated leaf, a leaf with holes in it, It is the most exciting thing in your life that happens. And I know so many people in my community, you know, that talk about this, like waiting for that fenestrated leaf to unfurl and seeing it as a, you know, tender green and seeing the green develop. And it's just so fun. And it's a practice of patience and, you know, an experience of joy. And then you see 40, 50, 100 monstera leaves unfurl. And that original sense of awe and newness of it isn't there anymore, uh, which I definitely have experienced as I've gotten to be more a more experienced plant person. So I feel like what I'm chasing now is that newness. And that's what gardening is giving me, you know, sprouting seeds, sprouting my zinnia seeds and having them starting some sweet alyssum that I, that I started the other day, pouring over seed catalogs. That's something I've never done before. And now it's like, all I want to do is read gardening magazines and pour over seed catalogs. So I'm that I definitely agree that you know, I'm, I'm reconnecting with that sense of awe and kind of first timer excitement that I haven't felt as much with houseplants yet. The majority of my wellness practices are indoors with my houseplants. So that's a double-edged sort of an answer for you. <laughs> good answer. And it's, I mean, it's great information. It's mm-hmm. it can be small. It can be big. It's all good is what I'm taking away from that. Yeah. Cause I do feel like with it being big, 
And I have a whole chapter in my book about the dark side of plant care because, um, which talks about overwhelm because sometimes I think, especially first time gardeners, (laughs) myself included, I saw this in my community in the pandemic, people bought like a hundred, you know, people got plant collections, hundred, 200 houseplants. And then as the world started opening up all of a sudden, they had to go outside again after two years and didn't have the capacity to care for 200 plants. And then the plants started failing, you know, the plants started being unhappy and then that brings you stress. And then you're in this horrible cycle of overwhelm. I think too big can, can lead to stress as well. So it's all about finding that number, that size, that garden size, that houseplant collection number that, that really works. I have a whole chapter dedicated to that because I've seen it in my community happen, happen way too many times. I know it's kind of a universal experience. Happen with a lot of things. This is Into the Garden with Leslie. We're talking with Maria Faella, who is also a garden podcaster with Bloom and Grow Radio, which is a fantastic podcast. And I'm excited to listen to more of it as she gets into her outdoor adventure. But right now we're talking about her book, which is going to be coming out in early June, right? Growing Joy. Oh, my book is trapped on it, trapped on a cargo ship in Turkey. So it's actually now coming out June 28th. So end of June, but it's available for pre-order right now, whenever this episode airs. And we always have pre-order incentives running with, with the book. But yeah, sometime in June, it's coming out. Just as your flowers are starting to bloom, just as your garden gets growing, you can read this book to have it as a supplement to your growing season. I wanted to touch on um, your other career, which I don't know is still going on, but you are a professional singer. Yeah. So for the last decade and what I've wanted to do since I was born, you know, one years old was being a professional musical theater performer. And I dreamt of being on Broadway as a kid. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I'm a natural performer. I, you know, my sweet family used to have to like listen to me sing and dance at the end of every dinner. (laughs) I would like make them watch me perform for them. And yeah, for the last decade, I've been a working musical theater performer. So I've done the international tour of West Side Story. I've been in Cats on Broadway. I did the national tours of Cats and The Sound of Music and Evita. I've got I've gotten really lucky. I've done some really beautiful, real. I've sang some really amazing music. Are you settling down to plants and gardening and that sort of thing? So I was in a show in New York City. I was in my dream show in New York City when the pandemic hit and the show got closed. So the show closed three days before opening night. So I was very actively doing both before the pandemic. So um, in 2019, I actually went on the road with Cats the Musical for an entire year. And I took Bloom and Grow on the road with me. Oh, And it was so fun. So Monday nights were our nights off because in theater, you do eight shows a week, Tuesday through Sunday. So on Monday nights, every city I was in, not every city, several cities I was in, I would connect with a local plant shop and I would do live recordings of my podcast. which was really cool. And I got to meet so many listeners around the country. It was amazing. And so I very much thought that Bloom and Grow was always a passion project. It was not my full-time job. It was not what I was thinking would be my business. I was very happy having my performer career. Bloom and Grow was more like an act of service and joy um, to other millennials, You know, helping people go through that plant killer to plant person transition. And then when I lost my job as a performer in the pandemic, it caused me to evaluate what life could look like as a full-time plant lady. A month later, after asking myself that question, having a little conversation with the universe, I got this book deal for Growing Joy out of nowhere. A listener happened to be an editor at a very fancy publisher who actually reached out to me knowing that this concept of life lessons from the garden Uh, was this theme that I talk about on Bloom and Grow a lot. And and she reached out asking if I would be interested in in discussing a book project with her. 
to fruition. That's so exciting. Yeah. So I haven't looked back since. And, and since then, I also launched a virtual garden society. I've heard you talk about it. And, it, and is it based that um, if people were interested in wanting to join it, is that based through a, a Facebook group or is that on your on your website or how would somebody join up with that? Yeah, it's so cool. It's the world's first virtual garden society. So we have listeners from around the country and around the world call in live on these garden society calls. Um, you can go to jointhegardensociety.com or I can send you some links for people to choose, but it's, it's really cool. It's actually a response. It's off Facebook because I had a lot of people request some sort of private space for our our listener community off of Facebook. Oh wait, you know, no algorithms, no targeted ads, just plants. And so I developed this platform called the Bloom and Grow Garden Party, um, which is an app for iOS and Android, and you can log in on your computer. And the Garden Society is the premium aspect of that platform. And I partnered with a horticulturist, Leslie Halleck. She's our horticulturist in residence. And uh, Leslie gives incredible lectures every month. So so if you want to tap into that curiosity and you want to tap into that, you know, your, your inner student again and learn about plant transpiration and, you know, seed starting and like a deep dive into fertilizers, like all the plant science stuff. She gives monthly lectures there. And then I host monthly, they're actually called growing joy calls where we talk about different topics on how to use plant care as self-care. And it's a really special little place. Everybody's invited to join us. Oh, great. I'll put the links in the show notes for this episode. Amazing. I had one more thing that I wanted to ask you, um, and then we should probably wrap it up. This has been, I just love it. Like you are so eloquent. I don't have to do any talking. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I've been, it's always fun. I always love interviewing other podcasters because they get it. You know, you, un- you understand the flow and the, um, the editing too. It's, it's always just a relief whenever I have a podcaster as a guest, honestly. <laughs> I, uh, something struck me in the book that just I thought the listeners would want to um, would want to know about and it would tempt them to uh, to get this book. There's so many great things about it, but you care so deeply about houseplants that when you were on tour um, with the show, I think I think it might have been cats. I'm not sure. You literally would buy a houseplant for the week of that show. Can you tell the listeners about that? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you choose? How would you part with it? What was the process there? It's called the Sisterhood of Traveling Plants, of, this, of the Traveling Plants. I had cultivated this gorgeous collection of 150 houseplants in my 500 square feet. And then I booked the National Tour of Cats and I had to leave and I had to go, you know, when you're on a national tour of a Broadway musical, you live in hotels. So that's a really sterile environment. I had been now very used to living in my little urban jungle that I had cultivated. uh, And I was taking the podcast on the road. So every week, you know, you get to your new city, you check into your hotel, you Google the local grocery store, right? And then you go and get your coffee or whatever else you need for your hotel room. But anyway, all the grocery stores have plant sections, right? And there's always something on sale. There's always something that there's a good steal somewhere. So in the different cities, I gave myself a bloom budget and it was usually like five bucks. It was never anything super crazy. I would always treat myself to a plant and I would keep it on the windowsill. And that was my little friend for the week. You know, I practice these mindfulness exercises that I talk about in my book with plants every day. So I also needed something to relax with, to connect with, to connect with the earth with, right? Um, But then we had to go get on planes. So at the end of the week, I 
normally encountered someone who did some sort of gesture of kindness to me. Uh, usually it was dressers at the theater, you know, the people who, help, who would help us get in and out of our spandex cat outfits. Maybe it was the local barista. Maybe it was the person at the front desk of the hotel, but there was always someone who did something kind to me in that week. So at the end of the week, I would always gift my plant of the week to whoever, you know, was, was making me feel my feels that week. And now I have this fun gifted like web of plants that I've gifted that are now living on, you know, other lives. And I think with houseplants and I think with gardening too, now that I'm starting, like, uh, I went to a local garden seminar and it was on dahlias. I've never done dahlias before. Dahlias for my for zone six are super high maintenance. You have to like start them indoors, put them outside, dig them up at the end. But anyway, I met this girl who happens to live 15 minutes from me. And I live in the middle of nowhere in the country. So I don't have a lot of friends up here. And she's a Dahlia fanatic. And she started 60 Dahlias. And she's like, they're getting too big. I Can you just take some for me? And so she gifted me six Dahlias that are pre-started. And now I get to, I'm like texting her pictures of her Dahlias all the time, right? So the secret of growing joy, which... The first 75% of the book is how can I use plants to cultivate more joy in my life? And then the last 25% of the book is actually psych. Plants make you happy because they actually help you connect to other people. And there's something about meeting gardeners, meeting other plant parents. The minute someone tells you, oh yeah, I'm a gardener too, or oh yeah, I'm a houseplant parent too. It's over, right? If you meet another gardener at a party, like you're in the corner talking your own talk about your gardens for the next 45 minutes. No one can get a word in edgewise. Like it's over plant. There's just something about these plant people that we connect with and see each other's souls, you know, in a different way. My favorite plants in my collection are not my expensive, fancy plants. They're the simple pothos cutting that a listener gave me at the stage door of cats in Chicago. And, you know, the memory associated with meeting that listener and the note that I got from the dad the next day. And it's that emotion. It's that connection that I think is humans in this digital world that we're craving so much. I go a lot into the different ways that you can use plants to connect with people. And it really spans from highly scientific based things to highly fun, woo woo, <laughs> like wacky things. There's really something for everyone in it. And, you know, if everyone can read it and, and you walk away with one thing that enriches your experience in your garden or in your houseplant collection and, you know, brings one more smile to your face, then I think I've done my job with with this book. In full disclosure, you've totally made it very obvious to our listeners, your listeners, my listeners, whoever <laughs> is, this is what we do talking to other gardeners. It's just so fun because it's just so fun. <laughs> like, Whoa. And you know, talking with Raphael, I don't I'm not really good at houseplants, but I want to be and I'm interested, you know, mm-hmm. talking to you you know, the science of, um, I've had a chicken lady on, I've had, you know, Doug Tallamy talking about uh, oaks. I've had people, I've had people who are more interested in decor because plants, although I think they serve a better function than just being items of decoration, but we can decorate with them. You know, it's just hundred percent. I love to talk to people about gardening. So yeah, those people who think that we're working, yeah, we're not. (laughs) No way. And even if we are, it's in the myriad of all different sorts of hobbies that we can have. The fact that there's a certain type of person that chooses to take care of something else, right? That's a certain personality type. I think gardeners and houseplant parents have a genuine innate kindness and connection and empathy that um, 
other people don't have. I think we're like the nicest crew. The nicest people I've met have been other plant parents who all they want to do is share their plants with you and, and talk to you about, well, how does this work for you? And well, oh my God, this and that. And, you know, there's just, there's just something about you, you know, there's just something about us that qualifies a really kind interaction. I agree. Gardeners are the nicest people. Truly. It's, it's so true. This has been so fun. And I, I hate to end it, but I feel, I feel like we both ought to get on with our days. But is there <laughs> anything you can think of that I didn't ask you that you would want to have been asked? No, I think this was such a fun conversation. I hope people might, you know, whether it's out for pre, who knows where the book is, whether or not it's still trapped in Turkey, but pre-order the book um, or get the book or maybe gift the book to someone, another gardener, you know, but yeah, it's, it's truly just a little love letter to plants. And people are also more than welcome to join us in the garden society. If you're looking to go deeper, it's the garden society is for both indoor and outdoor gardeners. And all of the education is, is based in both indoor and outdoor gardening. And, um, and yeah, if you're interested in houseplant care, I cordially invite you to come listen to bloom and grow radio over in my neck of the podcasting woods. I would say it's 80% houseplant care, 20% gardening, but we have, who knows, who knows how that might change as your journey. Who knows how that might change. Raphael was also recently on my podcast for a great conversation on rubber plants. Any houseplant stuff that you have curiosities about, I have a feeling I probably have an episode. You're welcome to check out Bloom and Grow Radio. Follow me on socials at Bloom and Grow Maria. All those links will be in the show notes for this on lhgardens.com. Maria, thank you so much. Thank you. This was so fun. So fun. So fun. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, brought to you by Color Blends Bulbs. Coming up, we're going to talk about what to do in the garden this week. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Color Blends Bulbs. What a great name for a book, right? Growing Joy. Every gardener would want to grow that. I mean, sign me up. Where can I get my seed packet? I'm going to put all the relevant links in the show notes on lhgardens.com, and you may have a new podcast to listen to if you weren't acquainted with Bloom and Grow Radio before. It would be of particular interest to you if you're into houseplants, but it sounds like Maria may be venturing outdoors in her gardening journey. Hey, do you remember Kathy Corlett from episode 63 a few weeks ago? She's a landscape architect who practices in Portland, Oregon, and the name of her firm is Corlett Landscape Architecture. Right now, she's studying for certification in arboristry, and she and I thought it would be fun for her to check in every once in a while when she comes upon a good tip for us to know about trees. Her first one is about the flare on the bottom of trees, which you've heard me talk about a lot on this podcast, and it's about not over mulching. But let me mention it just one more time, and she goes into a bit more detail. The tip is, of course, don't bury the flare, which is the part of the trunk where the straight trunk flares out before it goes into the ground. Kathy says that part reminds her of an elephant's foot, which is a good visual, and it shouldn't be buried because, as she says, most of a tree's roots are in the first few inches of soil and they need air to function well. Burying the flare can rob surface roots of oxygen, nutrients, and water, and cause them to die or spend a lot of energy growing up into a better soil zone. And when there's soil or mulch up against the lower part of a tree's trunk, the bark can actually start to rot. Many times when large trees fall over, it turns out the flare was buried at some point, and the roots rotted, and the tree lost its strong and stable connection to the ground. I mean, I know that at the very least, a tree's life is shortened when there's mulch piled up against it. When planting and mulching around your tree, remember not to bury the flare. So check your trees, especially if you've had your property mulch lately. Lots of well-meaning landscapers just aren't aware of the danger. 
Thank you for that, Kathy, and let us know when you find out more goodies on trees. Questions from listeners. My friend Donna Ernest wants me to find out how the British keep their David Austin roses from flopping. Donna responded to my plea for questions, you know, so I wouldn't have to make them up, that I sent out on May 16th. That means that means that her David Austin roses were flopping several weeks ago as you listen to this. If the space-time continuum proceeds as planned, I will find out the answer while at Great Dixter in the third week of May. I will record the answer in the first or second week of June, but I won't be able to share the answer until episode 69, which drops June 11th. All of these dates make my head explode just a little bit, as does the fact that I haven't even packed for the trip that I will have returned from as you are listening. Whoa, okay, let's get back to simpler topics, like how about a question about how to prune a dwarf Japanese maple from Mary Lou Reedy? She sent me a photo of hers, so many different cultivars, but I think hers was at least similar to a red dragon. It looked dwarf, but not tiny, with those pretty red leaves, and it looked very healthy, if a bit lumpy. I told her that the answer to this question is not based on horticulture, but rather aesthetics. As with any tree or shrub, you would remove dead or maybe crossing branches for its health, but for looks, you just may want to consider that the structure of a Japanese maple can be a beautiful element to your garden if it's pruned artistically. Oftentimes, that means that you would be going away from the, um, shall we say, the cousin it look and revealing some of the trunk and the graceful branches of your tree. Sorry if you are a young person who missed out on the Adams family, but cousin it was its hairiest member. Of course, I didn't tell Mary Lou what to do, but I sent her some photographs of Japanese maples that had been pruned more to my personal liking, and those visuals might have been completely useless because she might already love the shape of her tree. But sometimes it's nice to know that things can be different than what you thought they had to be, as in the case of never ordering a chocolate shake again once I understood what a chocolate malt tasted like. In my Tuesday tip this week, I talked about soil compaction and staying out of the garden beds after a big rain. I'm lucky enough to have a bog garden. It's really fun to have different planting areas available in one yard. It does get squishy, and we certainly had to sink some dollars into it to channel the underground springs into the little creek, but it's a really fun spot to grow. And some people ask me what native bog plants I do grow, so let me give you a list. Along with some guilt-inducing non-natives that won't be discussed here because of slight shame and because that wasn't the question, I grow from big to small river birches, Betula nigra. I grow the species. I have a couple of those. They host a lot of our native bugs. And the sweet bay magnolia, which is the magnolia virginiana, which can sit in the bog, doesn't mind the wet. I also grow a dwarf river birch called Little King. That's just going to max out at about, I think, 12 feet. It's very cute. Then I grow the button bush, which is the Cephalanthus occidentalis. This is a great plant, but I wish I had known about the dwarf cultivar, which adorably is called sugar shack. Um, I wish I had known about it when I was planting because I don't like for my species ones to get that tall. I give them a great whacking every spring. I want to see over them to my fire pit area. No matter, they still flower at the end of the summer, even though I cut them back really hard. And did you know that hibiscus are native? So I have some of those, some white ones and some pink ones. And then, of course, I grow the Lobelia syphilitica, the great blue Lobelia, which loves a good bog. So I hope that helps you if you are planting up a boggy spot. I'll put that list in the show notes, too. Sister Sue had a really good question, or actually a series of them, on a topic about which I am a bit vague. You know my sister Sue Ann. She's been a guest on the podcast a lot. She's a good gardener. Um, but she's probably not as into it as I am, but she, you know, she always wants to improve her game. So I will proceed with, if not answers, then with what I hope will be helpful opinions. So here's Sue. She says, 
hey, what's soil amendment? What am I supposed to do? What is this pH, peat moss, you know, sand? Do I add things? Do I get a test? What is going on? And here's me. As a professional horticulturist who has a very meager interest and still less of an understanding in science, let me provide some answers. Wait, now before you fall about laughing, I really do think that I can help on this topic. It sort of harkens back to the rose information that I gave last week. Far be it from me to understand or help you with black spot on your roses. But I do know that if you don't see the black spot because you plant your roses far away or among or even behind other plants, then you really don't have that much of a problem with black spot now, do you? Same with soil amendment. It's all your level of interest. I would put people concerned about soil amendment into two categories. One is not me. We'll call this person the determined gardener. If this is you, you know that your soil is not right for the plants you are determined to grow and that you must change the soil. This means you're going to get involved with soil testing, you're going to have to understand pH levels, and you're going to need some shovels to remove or add soil or nutrients to your garden. And if you are this person, I am sorry, I cannot help you. There you are laughing again, but wait, I still might be able to help Sue and some others because I don't think she's actually all that serious as the description that I just gave. Type number two is more like me and maybe Sue Ann. It's the interested gardener. I am definitely interested and very interested about my soil. I mean, very interested, just not in a sciencey way. The interested gardener knows that he or she has a certain type of soil simply by observation. Not a lot of science involved here. It's more like, oh my, that's a lot of gravel in my soil. Or, oh my, I could probably throw my own terracotta pots with my soil. Observation is a huge part of this. What does grow well? What's the soil like? Does it feel sandy, loamy? Well, good for you. You're, you're winning. Or is it clay? You can react the same way for all types of soil problems, just by amending. And how to amend? Well, the determined gardener would get that soil test done, would then elucidate the results of said soil test, which is a bigger challenge than I choose to accept in my, wait, what is this that we're doing? Oh yeah, it's a pastime. It's a hobby. <laughs> and I know I used to do it for a living, but now I'm very happy to not deal with any soil tests, which I never understood very much in the first place. But the determined gardener would understand exactly what was lacking and what needed to be added and would do just that. But the interested gardener, of which I am one, can always improve his or her soil every season, all the time, simply by mulching and composting. No digging in. You simply let the leaves fall and decay. You simply let your mulch decay. And for the best results, you top dress with your own compost whenever you have some, or maybe you could bring in a few yards and throw that about on your plants. So the answer is mulch or compost used as mulch and time and letting your soil improve gradually. If you want to get into the science of it, I wish you well, but that's not for me. And dear sister, I don't remember that you totally enjoyed science in school either. So maybe just keep it simple and feed your soil compost, leaves, and mulch. Right, so... Now the cat's out of the bag in terms of me and soil science. I wonder if that helped anybody. I know I'm going to hear from Sue Ann if it didn't help her. So what will I have done in my garden this week? Guessing ahead again, I will have come home from Great Dixter. I will have thanked Jeff for watering while I was gone. I probably will have had time to pull a handful of truly offensive and large weeds. And I would have observed the no mow may results because it will have been, well, it will be June. And as ever, I predict tall grass and nothing more. But then I would have left to take care of grandchildren in Connecticut. So if you're disappointed that I'm not sharing all the groovy garden stuff that I will have learned at Great Dixter in this episode, that is why. I had to record this one ahead too. 
but I'm going to figure out a way to share it, I promise. And I can't imagine that I wouldn't have started sharing almost instantly on Instagram. So a conscientious and not so mobile gardener may have deadheaded roses, planted another series of cilantro or sunflower seeds, pinched at some of the tomato armpit hairs, you know, the secondary branches that you don't want if you're trying to keep your indeterminate tomatoes to all one stake. I'm sure everybody calls them tomato armpit hairs. And then what else? I bet you can get rid of a bunch of bulb foliage by now. Congratulations. It's like cleaning out a closet, right? So gratifying. But do wait until it's brown. And speaking of bulbs, Color Blends is a third-generation bulb company offering top-size flower bulbs directly to ambitious residential gardeners and landscape professionals at wholesale prices. I like to think that I am ambitious, and I buy my bulbs from Color Blends every year. And now is a great time to start making your list and getting in touch with Color Blends. Hop on their website. There's so many gardeners out there, so many new ones, so don't be caught out at not getting what you want. All right, so I already gave you something to listen to, the dulcet tones of Maria's Bloom and Grow Radio podcast, which is a very good one. And now, what can I ask of you? Because I am so very needy. Um, How about this week you get one or maybe two gardening pals to subscribe to my show? That would be so cool to grow my numbers, to get more sponsors, to be able to pay the lovely John Robinson who helps me put out this podcast. Thank you for that in advance. This was fun. If you have any questions, comments, or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH or my website, lhgardens.com. And you can sign up for a weekly newsletter there, which is uh, mostly to do with gardening and sometimes other surprises. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Dos Amigos Landscaping and Color Blends Bulbs. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I'm really into my garden even though I'm really not into my garden by the time you hear this, and boy, it probably really needs me. But I want to get you into yours. I'll see you next week.